0: I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This is Making a Difference, a podcast about people who are making change happen. On the show, you'll hear from people who are making a difference on a day-to-day basis, from the local level in their communities to change on a global scale. You'll learn what makes them tick and the values that are driving their actions. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Maybe you've had a moment like this, where your boss has thrown you a new project. Not just any project, a big project with high stakes. In this episode, I'm speaking with Hannah Kennedy from Cabrini Health. Hannah is a 20-something who would describe herself as a project manager, certainly not a doctor or a nurse. Early in 2020, out of the blue, Hannah was tapped to project manage the response to the coronavirus pandemic for a network of over 800 patient beds across five sites. Most of us would do the human thing and panic, but this is a story of empathy and intellect, some powerful change lessons, and also a twist in the tale about who owns the project. Welcome Hannah Kennedy, Assistant Director of Business Development at Cabrini Health. How are you today? I'm
1: good, thanks Steve. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Oh no, thanks for coming along and talking to me. And although you've got that fancy title, you've got another project management job at the moment. What do you call that?
1: Well, that has involved a bit of a centralised coordination point across the Cabrini sites for COVID. So I've been doing that for the last couple of months. It's sort of slowed down a little bit, but uh, it's unfortunately picking up a little bit again now.
0: Okay, so in that sense, you are the project manager for the COVID response at Cabrini Health. Is that a fair call? That's right. And, And tell us about Cabrini Health. How many beds? How many doctors?
1: Sure. So Cabrini Health has multiple sites and a lot of our different sites have different functions, but I guess Cabrini Health is probably known for Cabrini Malvern, which is a 400-bed acute care hospital that has emergency department, an ICU, maternity services, well-known for cardiac care, cancer, flagship. Yeah, a, a pretty big private acute hospital. Then we also have Cabrini Brighton. That's a smaller subacute uh, hospital in Brighton. Then we also have an aged care facility. We also have a palliative care service. We also have a couple of smaller outpatient rehabilitation sites, an asylum seeker hub, uh, Cabrini General Practice and uh, Research and Education Institute as well.
0: Hannah, when you were tapped on the shoulder to take this project manager role for COVID, how'd you react? What were you thinking?
1: I was a little bit surprised, actually. Our CEO just sort of sent out an email to the rest of the executives saying, you know, I've cc'd Hannah Kennedy. She's going to be helping out with coordinating and doing some contingency planning for staffing and initially monitoring sick leave. So this was in the very early days when, you know, I guess in the management hub, certain things were being thrown around that you know, we can expect 80% of our staff are going to become infected with COVID. So, we really need to be planning for what that looks like and what our staffing contingency looks like. So, that's sort of how the role started. I wasn't really that surprised because my existing role in business development involves the integration of new medical staff, going out into the community and meeting with GPs. So I knew we wouldn't be able to do that as much as what we usually would because it was a bit of a risk for us and for specialists to be going out into general practice during this time, Uh, you know, with the infection risk and it was just a lot of uncertainty initially. So all of that and GPs felt the same. They felt a lot of uncertainty as well. They were moving a lot of their consultations onto telehealth. So they were sort of shutting up shop too. So I knew that that element of my role wasn't going to be very busy and a lot of what I'd planned for the next couple of months had sort of been starting to get cancelled. So, yeah, I I had capacity to help out and I also think, you know, being young, I don't have a, a young family. And when I did start in the role, actually, someone did say to me, oh, I saw that there was this young girl Coming to help out, and I, I thought, who is, who even is this?
0: I want to talk about that, Hannah.
1: How can
0: you be credible? Like hospitals are notoriously <laughs> difficult places culturally, not Cabrini, I'm sure, because no. of the sort of competition between departments, and because they've got highly skilled, highly smart people, and you come in, and you have a particular background in health administration, but. How do you maintain your credibility in amongst all of those smart people who know their jobs and you're not, and you know, you're not a doctor or a nurse?
1: You know, I've always tried to kind of know my place in a way, but also challenge status quo and know where my opinion is credible and would be of value. So I like to think that I'm quite a good problem solver and often in the clinical space, when people do know their role so well, they see the clinical elements very closely and sometimes the processes. But I think often I have an ability to be able to take a bit of a step back and be able to understand processes quite quickly and also understand gaps in processes and potentially where they could be improved or there's opportunity, I suppose you would say. But maintaining my credibility probably also comes down to authenticity I like to think that I'm quite authentic in my approach I don't try and fake that I know things that I don't I just say it how it sort of is and I say what I think but I also acknowledge my limitations and acknowledge things that I don't know and I think that's been something that I've definitely learned more about during COVID and being able to really acknowledge those limitations because often I think I've been put in situations and scenarios where, uh, you know, you can exercise common sense, but then there's also elements of risk that you're managing as well. So, yeah, I think that's been a bit of a fine line.
0: I'm interested to talk about that. So in terms of risk associated with your COVID project, what were they when you were lining up the top three or four?
1: You know, I think there was sort of two kind of categories and one was sort of significant and real risk. And one of them was sort of anxiety-led risk. So I think in the early days, there was a lot of uncertainty. You know, when I say the early days, I sort of mean around mid-March, early April, we didn't really have a good grasp on the reality of COVID. I think the perceptions were actually probably worse than the reality. Back during that time, there was lots of, things being presented to me all day. And it's like, well, actually, you know, we've put these measures in place to make sure that you're safe at work. You're 1.5 metres away from patients or visitors that are coming into the hospital.
0: How do you manage that anxiety where not everyone's going to get the response that they want, but the organisation has to keep going down a particular path that it's planned?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where I built my credibility. Like I would touch base with people, Like our infectious control physicians, our head of medical services, who both have very strong reputations within the organisation, and I think it was about you know consulting with them and then bringing that consistent message back to frontline staff, saying, "I've actually gone and spoken with this person." And the advice that they've provided me is this, it's in line with the department's recommendations. It's in line with our infection control and prevention team, you know, reaffirming people and making them feel comfortable and confident to come to work. And I did, I think, feel a lot of responsibility for that early days. I thought, you know, we could end up in a real pickle here. If people actually feel unsafe at work, they're going to stop coming to work. And that is in itself going to be a big issue. So we really need to be giving these staff confidence that it's safe for them to be here.
0: Along the way, though, did you get any questions that you were thought initially were weird or off the planet that actually turned out to be really sensible and helpful?
1: Probably a lot. I think <laughs> it, it probably got to a point as well where when I got a question that I thought, oh, you know, I just can't even deal with that right now. But then I'd hear it again and then I'd hear it again and then I'd think, okay, I need to pay attention to this now. It's it's obviously a genuine concern. I think it was very interesting in the early days actually when we started doing screening of staff. It was very interesting because... We thought a good way to engage some of the corporate staff from our corporate offices that had been sent to work from home, you know, could we schedule them in for some shifts, doing some screening on the stations in the early days, bring them in and help them to feel engaged with the organisation and give them a sense of what's going on so that we can keep them engaged. So we did that and it was very funny to see the feedback that they would provide me dependent on where they worked. So, for example, one day I had one of our work health and safety officers working on one of the screening desks and at the end of her shift, she came up to me and she's like, now I've just been sitting at the screening desk and I think it would be really important that we get some handrails on the staircase. And I was like, I totally validate what you're saying, but it's just not a priority right now. Like, you know, these staircases been this way for 15 years. And it was just, you know, learning about the different lens that everyone has on situations was obviously very valuable in the end.
0: I reckon next time we talk in one of these, Hannah, we might talk about framing and like the various elements of that, because it's a really good conversation. But you've also led into culture. What did you learn about the Published culture of the organisation and the organic or the unwritten culture that people experience at work and how useful is that? Definitely a good question.
1: I think, you know, I forgot to mention earlier, but Cabrini is a Catholic organisation and has mission at its very centre. And I think that mission and the Catholic values really came to fruition during COVID. I think there was very much an all-hands-on-deck mentality People genuinely really wanted to help and, you know, I remember even when we weren't as in such a pickle as what we thought, our director of ICU was like, oh, he was disappointed. He was like, I've trained my whole career for this. I've trained my whole career to fight this fight and contribute, you know, to this level. So, that was really inspiring. I think that really does sum up the mission of Cabrini and and that compassionate nature. Also, you know, one of my very first jobs was compiling a list of all the staff that work across the organisation that are clinically trained but weren't currently in clinical roles and the process of redeploying those staff back into clinical roles. So, there was quite a few staff that work at our research and education arm of Cabrini Health and, you know, their willingness to retrain, upskill, go back into ICU. They've got young families. There was still a lot of uncertainty at this time and they were willing to go back into that clinical environment. I think that also for me just gave a really strong picture of what it means to work at Cabrini Health.
0: How do you keep the balance, Hannah, because a lot of not-for-profits in that kind of health and community services lurches into bullying almost because, like almost the guilt cards played to get people to do that bit extra. How do you you stay as an employer of choice but keep that cultural ethos that helping's a thing that we do?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if it was because of the situation and how... You know, serious, it really felt. It felt on the front line very serious. I think that people felt obliged. I think it was a calling to some people. I think, especially for nursing staff and to medical staff, they felt like this is genuinely what they train for. And people just wanted to help in any way they can. But I think at the same time, it was not at all like forced, it was very optional. And I think in the exact same breath, there was staff that also took long service leave or other forms of leave or made other arrangements to work from home because they had a young family or they were a little bit older or they had an underlying health condition, they didn't want to put themselves in that risk. So they decided that they would take some leave, take some time out from being in the clinical environment, and that might have been a family decision to do that. So I think as much as there was lots of help offered, there was also help offered from Cabrini to help people to stay at home.
0: What a great culture. We thought we were out of the woods and Mm -hmm. then um, the numbers have spiked again. What's that meant for you in the last few days?
1: It's been a bit of a balancing act for me in, in both of my kind of roles. I think that, you know, I got very invested in what we'd set up at Cabrini that it had been quite successful and we had to shut a lot of our exits and entrances into the hospital and managing all the communication around that. It's quite a significant project in itself and, you know, there was always other elements to it but screening visitors and managing visitor restrictions and I think that, yeah, I did become quite invested in that. And to an extent, I, re- I really enjoyed it. It was great exposure. It was really good experience and I think I learnt a lot. It was challenging to then also start stepping away from that and, and let, you know, it become a more operational process that just almost became business as usual for us at Cabrini. And even now, I can't really see us removing it, especially with the spike in numbers, but it's sort of embedded in my brain now like the other day I walked out the front of the hospital and I you know I saw that someone didn't get asked the right question and I was like you oh, know, you're not really doing that properly you need to make sure that you're asking all the right questions so yeah just this sense of like the importance of being really thorough and, yeah, for me, I think it was just the struggle of being able to step away. I think that that in itself was a really good learning experience for me, the fact that, you know, I set all of this up and got it running and put all the processes in place, did a lot of process mapping, a lot of briefing with staff, and they, they continue to still even call my phone today. You know, I, I do feel a sense of calling to help. You know, when my phone rings and I can see on the phone that it's someone calling that is stationed at one of these screening desks, I really do want to help. And, yeah, I almost feel a little bit guilty to be like, no, Hannah, you can't do both.
0: Yeah, because the greater good is people having the capacity to run in that environment themselves, presumably.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think my other role has really taken back over now. Like we've moved a lot of our GP engagement to virtual and we're doing lots of education, which is really great. It's just managing that balance. I still want to be able to help out in the COVID space, of course, and with the spike in cases, you know, there might be a need for project management again in that space, but at the moment it's just sort of running itself, so to speak.
0: And that we're in a better space preparedness-wise than we were four months ago.
1: Yeah, it's, it's completely different. But I think there still is, you know peaks and troughs and and little peaks of anxiety within the organisation and obviously within the community as well. But I think that's been the other thing that's been quite interesting is watching, you know, the complacency kind of return. And and as the anxiety eased away, lots of people wanted to come into the hospital and visit again, but we really had to stay firm on, on some of those restrictions. And I think now that we've done that, we feel really glad that we have.
0: Yeah, there was that element, sort of a fortnight ago, that element of complacency that had slipped in. Hey, just on another topic, Hannah Kennedy, in your working life, funniest moment?
1: I feel like I've had so many. I've been very lucky. I think that was the other thing that I was going to say earlier, you know, in terms of being tapped on the shoulder. I've been very lucky to have great bosses, but my current boss in particular, we've had a lot of funny moments because we obviously spend too much time together and we always end up wearing the same outfit and we get to work and I'm like did you drive past my house this morning like how did you know that I was wearing this it's been a bit of a running joke colleagues that dress the same I think it's actually an Instagram page <laughs> people that end up hanging out too much they actually do dress the same so we've we've been together now for being together. It sounds like a relationship, but we've been working together for three years and yeah, I feel very fortunate, but we do often wear the same outfit.
0: Come on, Hannah, you can tell me there is a memo that goes around where you all agree what you're going to (laughs) wear. Hey, Hannah Kennedy, great to talk today. Thanks so much for coming along. Talk soon.
1: Thanks so much, Steve.
0: Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Civic Mind specialists in governance and ethics for local and state government agencies. To find out more, head to the website civicmind.com.au. And so you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to Making a Difference in your favourite podcast app. And if you like the episode, please leave me a five-star review. It really helps other people to find the show. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and I'll speak to you
1: next time.